Welcome to the Dawn of an Era of Wellbeing podcast that brings together some of the world's most innovative thinkers to weigh in on matters concerning the future of ourselves and our planet. And to discuss that future not as something to be predicted, but to be created. In each episode, your hosts, Irvin Laszlo and Frederick Zhao, and moderator Nora Cesar, will converse with guests from numerous disciplines to help us navigate a new worldview which derives its wisdom from a synthesis of ancient and modern, East and West, science and spirituality. And from these seemingly divergent perspectives, we will demonstrate how we can create a new narrative and usher in the dawn of a better era. So, welcome everyone. Today's episode will be focusing on Islam. Our guest is Safi Kaskas. Allow me to introduce him. Safi Kaskas is a management executive and a strategist with more than 40 years of broad-based experience in strategic planning, leadership, and business ethics, with an emphasis on strategic management in the corporate and academic worlds. As an American Muslim, Dr. Kaskas creates, cares deeply about the present and the future of the American Muslim community. He is very involved in addressing the need of rehabilitating the role of human responsibilities and human rights as a paradigm for Muslim activism in America, which was first established in classical Islamic and classical American thought centuries ago. Dr. Kaskas translated and published the Quran into simple, easy to understand English in January 2015 and published the Quran with references to the Bible in January 2016. This important book has 3,000 references to the Old and the New Testaments. He is the founder and president of the International Quran Research Association. His global vision focuses on finding commonalities with others in order to promote peaceful cooperation. This is beneficial on all levels, business, social, national, and global. Thank you for joining us, Safi. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. And please allow me to introduce our hosts, Irvin Laszlo and Frederick Zhao. Irvin Laszlo, two-time Nobel Peace Prize nominee, world-renowned philosopher and system scientist, author or co-author of over 106 books, founder of the Laszlo Institute of New Paradigm Research and the Club of Budapest, the recipient of multiple honors and awards, like the Goy Peace Prize, the Assisi of Peace Prize, and the Luxembourg Peace Prize. Frederick Zhao, business leader, futurist, practitioner of Eastern wisdom and Western science, author, chairman of the Family Business Network's Council of Wisdom and founder of the prestigious Octave Institute, fusing ancient wisdom and quantum science as a platform for people to achieve a purposeful life mindfully lived at new levels of consciousness and freedom. So welcome everybody. Uh, to manage today's session, I would like to invite 
one of our co-hosts to first share some opening remarks, uh, followed by our guest to spend about 10-15 minutes to share his worldview in relation of today's topic, which is the Islam. And then we can spend the balance of the time on a more interactive basis. So first, I would like to invite Fred to please come and set the stage. Fred? Thank you, uh, Nora. <clears throat> I think that I'm especially excited and for this particular episode, perhaps expand a little bit of the boundary of the last religious dialogue because of <clears throat> Dr. Special background in both spirituality and also in business. The new era, uh, of course, is informed by the challenge where it's evolving to. Um, and the challenge is globalization and global challenge, one of sustainability, one of a market economy uh, that is uh, absence of spirituality and ethics. Uh, which is doctor's Koshkos area of specialty. So, uh, but, you know, our culture is informed by shared experience in languages. And in a global reality, we need to find a new commonality, a new commonality that we can actually transfer this shared experience into a new language, into a new transferable shared experience so that we can have a unification of the diversity of culture, but still found commonality for the common challenge and the common creation of this new era. And so um, in the, um, the paradigm of quantum, it allows us a neutral new paradigm uh, between the visible and invisible, between consciousness, uh, between God and and humanity and between form and no form. And this actually creates a possibility to create a new language without the baggage of the past, with pure spirituality, without cultural, historical, or religious um, institutional baggage. This is something that we have to find for commonality, to bring back spirituality and ethics, especially to this market economy to resolve and to solve the sustainability challenge towards flourishing and towards well-being. Uh, this well-being and happiness uh, economics has been advocated by United Nations since 2012. But it seems like after 12 reports of happiness report, it seems like it's still running on the spot. And so I think uh, we are here, hopefully, to explore this commonality, not only in worldview, and perhaps today explore it beyond how do we bring spirituality and ethics back to this market economy. Thank you. Thank you, Fred. Uh, Dr. Kaskas, please, I'm very excited to hear from you, first of all. What are the roots of Islam and how do you see its value and relevance in today's world? And maybe you can share a little bit more about how did you start on your journey? As uh, Thank you very much for your question and for the introduction. Uh, I, I was born, as I mentioned, in Beirut, Lebanon in 1944. Uh, 
I came to the United States in 1967 because I felt that the future in the Middle East is very troubling. It's a troubled area. And I needed freedom to think, freedom to publish, freedom to meet with people, freedom to learn without being threatened. So United States was a good alternative for this because we have a constitution that guarantees this to everybody. Uh, all was fine, and I was uh, doing business here, uh, meeting people, uh, visiting churches, invited to various, uh, uh, you know, denomination to speak about Islam, uh, and, and suddenly I was encountered with 9/11. 9/11 was a fork in the road for me. And various Muslims chose to respond in various ways. I chose to respond with education. I wanted to, I heard people talking about the Quran, but they didn't know what they're talking about. They were making comments. I don't know where they originated from, where they got their information from. And it wasn't the Quran that I know, that I read every day and I try to find my path through its teachings. So I decided to sit down and target young Americans who I know have a very curious mind and want to learn. So I thought if I translate the Quran into simple English, high school level English, and uh, try to explain uh, this final revelation uh, from God to humanity, that will, uh, in a sense, explain what Islam is all about and be the beginning of building a bridge so we can live together peacefully. This is how it started. And it took me six years, full time, to sit down and try to understand the Quran, make sure I understand the Quran uh, word for word in Arabic, and to then later to try to uh, translate its meaning into simple English. Uh, this is how the story started. And uh, many, many people became interested after they saw uh, the first year when they start seeing what uh, the translation is saying. And uh, many evangelical friends who I was trying to build bridges to toward, you know, decided to uh, help and uh, spread that translation. And one in particular, uh, you know, uh, the, the man who became my uh, partner in this, Dr. David Hungerford, uh, and I got together and we decided the job will not be complete unless we look into what the Bible says about the same issues and try to find verses in the Bible that have the same meaning as verses in the Quran. And we weren't sure what we will find but we stopped at like 3,500 verses, knowing that the Quran is 6,000 plus verses. So like half the verses in the Quran have similar meaning in verses in the Bible. That goes to show that the message that we receive, whether it was in the Torah, in the Gospels, or in the Quran, has the same roots. It's the same. Basically, I am your Lord, uh, I created you, try to live together with love and peace.
I created you because I love you and try to love each other. So this simple message is basically the guiding light for all my life today was the, the, guiding life, uh, the guiding light for my life in the past and it will continue to be for the future. So when I'm seeking a better future for humanity, that better future depends on uh, why we are here and wh why we, where we're going from here and if we know, if you know, if we know the answers to this question, then our path will be, in a sense, clear. You know, but if we're in confusion, selfishness will take over because we all have an ego, and uh, we'll start grabbing whatever we find in our way, and uh, accumulate wealth here and abuse other people there, and uh, uh, things that. We, we hate to see in the world are happening because of greed. So knowing that we have an origin, an original creator who is in charge of this universe, who gave us guidance, who show us a way to salvation, will help us tame our egos and try uh, to love each other and move together toward building peace on this planet. This is in short, uh, who I am and what I live for nowadays. Thank you. And you mentioned that the Middle East is a troubled area. Why do you think that is? Because of injustice. You know, uh, when human beings feel injustice, they will struggle for justice. And uh, we were colonized by the British and the French. And before that, with the Ottoman, and uh, when the British and the French defeated the Ottoman Empire, they divided its properties or the countries that it dominated among them. They didn't work for what is best for the people there. They worked for what is best for them. Again, greed is the name of the game. So they divided the Middle East into various entities that are not necessarily logical. Sometimes the line goes through a village and it divided into two. So part of that village is on one side and the other is on the other village. And for somebody to visit their relatives, they need a visa. So it's, uh, they didn't consult the people in, of the Middle East and ask them, how would you like to live your life? Where do you like to live your life? They simply drew lines and divided. And that's called the Sykes-Picot Agreement. Sykes was the foreign Brit uh, uh, the British foreign minister and Picot was the French foreign minister and they got together and divided the Middle East and then Great Britain at that time and it's in, in uh, unlimited wisdom decided to give Palestine to the Zionist movement. I am for the Jews finding a safe place to live, but I'm not uh, for the lie that said that they received the land without people because Palestine was very populated and people were living there. And uh, like today, like today, 75 years ago, we, uh, uh, something catastrophic happened called a Nakba, where 800,000 Palestinians had forcedly to leave uh, Palestine and went, became refugees in Lebanon, in Syria, in Jordan, and in other places. 
Those people have the right to live freely the same way any Jew in the world has the right to live freely. So we're not saying you move out and let us live in. We're saying let's live together in peace. You know, I mean, uh, uh, the same way you're a human being, we are a human being too. If we live together in peace, we can build peace for the world. But to distinguish one to say he's special because he he is of a special or she is of a special religion, while the others are less uh, valuable, it's not uh, it's not uh, the way I understand uh, justice to be. You know. So anyway, the Middle East is a troubled area because it always perceived since 1948, it's perceived the existence of Israel to be uh, unjust. Uh, a just peace will be when uh, Israelis and Palestinians live together in one state as equal citizens. And uh, one will guarantee that peace for the other. So they, they recognize each other as equals. Yeah. And then the Middle East will join and uh, guarantees the safety of the Jews and the safety of the Palestinians. And we can be like Europe, united. Uh, Lebanon, Syria, Iraq, Palestine, Israel, uh, you know, uh, Jordan. Uh, this is how you build a peaceful Middle East, I think. Being united very yeah. well. Fred, would you like to reflect on those words? Yes, I, I'd like to bring back the conversation to the framing of the gender and like to ask um, Safi on uh, what is his view on how we can come with, with commonality to solve a common problem? How do we bring spirituality and, um, and also ethics back to the market economy? And how does he think the second biggest religion can participate through his experience of uh, cross-faith communication and sharing experience and his insight and his foresight on this topic. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your question. Uh, actually, human beings without spirituality are simply beings with a lot of greed and with a lot of uh, selfishness. Spirituality is when we discover that our consciousness leads us toward realizing that we are the only conscious being in this very vast universe. And that makes us very special. Uh, I, I happen to believe that there is a creator to this universe. And I believe that this creator sent us guidance and told us that we are his vice regents on this earth and we are all equal. We are all from uh, 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 the, the same origin. And we are special because we are able to realize that we exist independently from anybody else and we can exist and realize we are part of a larger universe. This should bring us closer together, that realization by itself. But to believe that we are only here to live and die, and that was the end of it, or will be the end of it, will not give me a motivation neither to love myself nor to love my neighbor. I have to believe that 
My existence today has continuation. I'm here simply because God gave me freedom and wants me to come to him freely. This is a realization I came, I came to after I finished translating the Quran. It's a couple of months later after I finished the translation. I ask myself, what is this book trying to tell me? What's the essence of this book? What is God trying to tell me here? So the answer came to me and it really shook me. I didn't expect it at all. The answer was freedom is the essence of the Quran. I want you to come to me freely with your own free will. This is why I gave you a free will. If you choose to come to me because I created you with love, I want you lovingly to submit to me and to love me and to love your neighbors because I created them the same way I created you, out of love. So love is the common denominator. Common interest is a common denominator. The future of the planet we live on, the only home we have, is a common denominator. Our tendencies to love our children and our grandchildren and our willingness to sacrifice for them is a common denominator. All these things have a spiritual arm, have a spiritual depth to them. Uh, love is a spiritual feeling. Uh, if we ever tried love, we will know what I'm saying. Uh, and I very frankly enjoy looking out of the window of my bedroom and looking at the trees. And after, after COVID, I discover the greatest symphony in the world that the birds play every morning. So I open my window, look at the sun shining on the green leaves and listen to the birds. And that gives me the greatest spiritual joy I've, I've ever felt in my 90, 79 years old, uh, years on earth. So, I mean, all this is very spiritual. That is very true. I like to just follow up, say, you've done a lot of work in interfaith. Yes. And then because a lot of language that, and also misunderstanding of what love and freedom is. Yes. Because we are whole, we're always loved. Because we are whole, we're always free. Yes. And that's an expression in the material world of the spiritual reality, right? Yes. And so, but in the interfaith today, I observe for them in the Islamic world, Back down here in Singapore and Southeast Asia, um, there's not much animosity among the Islam and the rest. But we can observe in other places, there are a lot of animosity and misunderstanding. So how can we bring in the gap between the second biggest religion in the world and also the other a different faith into a better understanding and uh, mutual discrimination or even a misunderstanding of the Quran. I consider this question to be the core of our conversation today. So I am going to try to borrow from my own experience and what I learned 
in the last uh, 10, 15 years doing interfaith, actually it's more than that, it's over 20 years now, doing interfaith to try to answer this question. Uh, let me tell you that going so carefully over the Quran and what it says, I don't find any hatred in the Quran. I find the Quran teaching all Muslims to love their neighbors. More than that, I found that the Quran is teaching people to love their enemies. If you, if you like, I would like to quote from the Quran and move forward uh, to, uh, uh, you know, to explain other, uh, uh, the rest of the question. Uh, first of all, the Quran says, good and evil are never equal. Repel evil with goodness, and your enemy will become like an intimate friend. So the Quran is teaching each one of the Muslims who believe that it is a revelation from God, not to repel uh, uh, whatever bad they receive with equally bad actions. It tells them that good and evil are never equal. If somebody try to be nasty to you, try to reply with love, try to reply with being nice to them. It, uh, it also, the Quran also teaches us that all people uh, from other religions, the, 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 the religion that is most numerous in the world, Christianity, uh, it tells us that uh, truly those believers in this message, meaning Muslims, as well as the Jews, the Christians and the Sabians, whoever believes in God and in the last day and does righteous deeds will have their reward from their Lord and will not have fear, nor will they grieve. This is in chapter 2, verse 62 of the Quran. It also tells us in another place, say, we believe in God and what was revealed to us and what was given to Moses and Jesus and uh, to, uh, and what was given to the prophets from their Lord. We do not distinguish between any of them, and we submit to him, meaning to God. It's not distinguishing between one or the other, and it's not saying go and kill those who don't follow your religion. It's saying God recognized them as equal. Uh, you know, the, the verse I like the most, though, is this one. It's from uh, chapter 5, verse 48. It says, we have assigned each of you a law and a way of life. If God had wanted, he could have made all of you a single community. But instead, he is testing you by means of what he has revealed to you. So compete in doing what is good. It didn't say compete in fighting, compete in converting, compete in pushing others to believe what you believe, it says, compete in doing what is good. You will all return to God, the verse continued to say, and he will clearly clarify these matters about which you have differed. So on earth, we have to compete in what is good. And on the day of judgment, after we die and are resurrected on a, on a meet with God, on a day of resurrection, he will tell us who was right and who was wrong. 
this verse is telling me not to judge other either not only not to uh, not, not to harm them uh, not only to compete with them in doing what is good for 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 the neighborhood for the city for the country for the for the planet but it tells me not to judge them either leave the judgment to god i mean after all this is said i will i will i would like to believe that we should muslim should understand this now in order to spread this knowledge among muslims because we need we need to contextually we need to use context here contextually you need to understand that most muslims around the world were subject to colonial power european colonial power and that left them with a bad taste in their mouth left them with the divisions left them like uh, they divided india into pakistan and india but left kashmir hanging up so that pakistani can always have a fight with india so great britain will come back and settle the the fight this is terrible if you love other people you do what is best for humanity not for your best interest at the expense of other people so in order for me to spread loving my neighbor in a practical way uh, last year i started having global conferences on peace through the reconciliation of our holy books i invited people from canada united states europe and the arab world and pakistan the southeast asia from various religious backgrounds i had evangelicals i had eastern orthodox jews uh, uh, muslims and they were all coming to say what their holy book says about peace why did i choose peace as the topic of discussion because from my studies peace is the ultimate purpose of all revealed books whether we're talking about the tanakh uh, whether we're talking about the gospels where we're talking about the quran all have one main purpose to spread peace on earth to teach us how to build peace among each other so i invited everybody to talk about peace and then after we had that first global conference and i i might say it was very successful i realized or an idea came to my mind that now let's hold the same conference in places like pakistan where uh prejudice uh, learned from uh, when the saudis were wahhabis and petrodollars was spreading over there and now there are no more petrodollar to that saudi arabia is spending all that is drying up and the pakistanis need a new light a new uh, enlightenment i should say a new path toward building peace internally and externally so we had that conference in urdu why in urdu and not in english because i didn't want people in pakistan to think here comes those americans trying to teach us what they believe in i wanted the conference to be in their indigenous language we did the same thing in arabic also among several arab countries several uh, muslim leaders and christian leaders now i watched that uh, conference uh, in urdu with the pakistan i don't speak urdu so for 3 hours i was looking at the screen watching them uh reading their facial expression and their body language 
And I was mesmerized, looking at the screen, so happy, so delighted to see them working together, exchanging uh, bridges, inviting the other to cross. Now we have plans to have the same conference in uh, Malaysia, Indonesia, Bangladesh, and other places. <coughs> Excuse me. This is, this is one way we can spread communalities, try to spread enlightenment, love for each other, and uh, try to respond to globalization based on uh, mercantile, mercantilism, uh, business rather than spirituality. I have to share with you here, if I am, I'm trying to be honest, an idea that, well, a, a, a conclusion that I came to. You cannot have, you cannot truly have peace in the world unless we lobby and have peace in the United States. Working on this, trying to lobby for, for, for uh, world peace, See, like every country has a grand strategy. And that grand strategy will be based on a paradigm. I discovered that in the United States, we, have, we still have an economy of war. We never switched after World War II to an economy of peace. So to lobby for peace, we have to lobby for switching the economy into an economy of peace. And the resistance to this idea in the United States, in the, in the Congress and the Senate, is humongous. Because we have a huge lobby of uh, uh, industrial war. Uh, people who benefit from a huge budget for war in the United States every year. And it's not within my power to resist them at this time. As such, while I'm talking about peace, I know that the most direct way toward peace is blocked. So now I'm focusing, putting a lot of effort on working with some congressmen and very few senators and trying to talk about their religion, what Jesus taught them, because those I'm working with claim to be Christians, followers of Jesus. I'm, as a Muslim, trying to remind them what Jesus taught. And as such, the way is not blocked. It's not easy, but it's not really smooth. So, uh, you know, this is basically where I am today with this effort to spread peace and make peace uh, the paradigm that we build the future of this planet on. I love this that. This is a very good one. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Find commonality in peace, love, and freedom. Yes. And yes. find what each religion is teaching us about peace, love, and freedom. Yes. Thank you. Sure. Erwin, uh, what would you like to add to that brilliant uh, thing that Dr. Kaskas just mentioned? It's It's... Absolutely amazing. I'm listening. I'm listening. There is nothing to add. 
the only thought I would add is that I wish there would be many people like Kaskas, then we would have love and peace on earth. So that is my only hope, my only comment. Thank you for this great conversation. Thank you. I, I love you all, and I like to maybe introduce you to some of those international friends I have from places that are, we, we don't think about these places when we think about love and peace and freedom, but I like to introduce these people to you and maybe, maybe we can have uh, uh, one session on peace through the reconciliation of our holy books and invite uh, uh, several Jewish leaders to participate, uh, a few evangelical leaders to participate, and few Muslim leaders, not just myself, to participate. So uh, we will give a wider audience a wider view of what exists over there. Otherwise, whoever is listening to us or seeing us later might think that this is this man's opinion. It's not really my opinion. I know there are many, many people in all three religions that share these views with me. Uh, in the United States, I, may I share something? Do I have the time to share something more? Yes, please. Yes. Uh, look, I, uh, this journey that I'm on today in the United States really started, as I told you, after 9-11. Something mind-blowing, really amazing happened that evening, the evening of 9-11. I was in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia, doing a project for somebody over there, a business project. And my wife was here with my two boys who were going to the university here in this area, George Mason University. And, and, and suddenly I received a call to Jeddah. Uh, my wife said, are you watching TV? I said, no, I'm busy. I'm preparing a, a business plan for a, for a project. She said, watch the TV right now. Now, her urgent accent puzzled me. So I left what I'm doing and turned the TV on. And I saw the first tower fall down and the second plane coming to hit the second tower. And I realized there is a catastrophe in the making that's happening there. During the day, uh, my wife received a call from a friend of hers telling her that they're going to have a prayer visual uh, in a place here called the Cedars. And she invited her to come to share in that prayer visual. Although we Muslims don't have prayer visuals, uh, usually Christians have those prayer visuals. So my wife called me, said, what do you think? I said, go and take the boys with you. You're going to leave them after a while alone over there, and their names are indicative of their religion. The oldest is called Omar, the youngest is called Yasser. So please take them with you. So she went there, and everybody was sitting around praying for the president, the attorney general, the government. And suddenly someone started praying for Osama bin Laden. My wife was shocked. And she started crying. And at the end, when she left, she was the only car on the highway. Everybody was home scared and don't know what, what is coming. So she called me, said, you wouldn't believe what happened. Those people pray for their enemies. 
that trigger a journey for she and I and the children to start looking into the concept of praying for your enemies. Although I knew that this is a teaching of Jesus, but to encounter it in real life, to see it happening in front of me after a catastrophe like 9-11, uh, bring it to reality. So it's, a re it's something real right now and I, I have to cope with. And as someone who feels serious about life, I had to take a position. After a while, seeing the preparation for war, I realized that Christians are two kinds. One who was preparing for revenge, and the other, they called themselves Jesus followers, prays for their enemies. And I decided I am going to take the side of those who pray for their enemies. And a new journey started. New relationships were built. And I don't mind telling you, President Bush missed a historical opportunity that the, 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 the Jesus teaching to love your enemy never been put into practice by a leader. He claimed, he claimed to be a Christian. He said it in public. I'm not trying to put words in his mouth. He, he said it in public. And to seek revenge instead of seek loving his enemy, he missed a great historical opportunity. I still am friend to those people who call themselves Jesus followers. And I continue to learn from Jesus the same way I learned from the Quran, the same way I would learn from Buddha, the same way I learned from all other great leaders who teach peace, freedom, and building bridges toward the others. This is basically, you know, important to me. Um, definitely. That's, um, I think that's the only way to move forward. Fred, what would you like to add to that? Uh, yes. The oceans are made by drops of water, and we can only add drops to the ocean with initiative we can do as individuals. But collectively, we make the ocean. So I salute to your efforts in making a better world and creating the new era. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Beautiful words, Fred. Irvin, please add some concluding words. One word is enough. Amen. Thank you. Amen. <laughs> I like that. So, Safi, we usually close these podcasts with uh, a blessing or a prayer. So, may I ask you, would it be possible to share a blessing or a prayer, something that the audience would be able to receive and take with them when they are listening to this episode? I will be honored to do that. Thank you. Our tradition, the way we traditionally start anything, will be in the name of God. We say, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. In the name of God, the merciful to all, the mercy giver. I, pay, I pray awareness floods our being, not just as we pray today, but as a new way forward. I pray we find a new transformational literacy and coherence for a new future. I pray for humanity 
that we may see ourselves clearly and curiously and have compassion and courage for we must evolve individually if we are to evolve collectively. I pray for those less fortunate, for there are many whose homes is not a safe place who are vulnerable at this time. To those of you, I say, may you find strength, courage, and inner wisdom. May you know that you are seen. I pray that through kindness, compassion, and cooperation, we come to a place within ourselves of peace and deep understanding. I pray that a smile is born on the lips of all who recognize the great opportunity this time affords us. Thank you very much. Thank you. That's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. What a compelling note to conclude on. So, yeah, closing this podcast for today on the topic of Islam. I'm Nora Cesar with our hosts, Erwin Laszlo and Frederick Zhao, thanking today's very special guest, Safi Kaskas, and our worldwide audience, as well as our wonderful production team, led by Kenichi Sugihara, Taisuki, and those many others at Octave Institute and the Laszlo Institute. From whatever nation state or emotional state you might be in, this is the place to tune in. We invite you to join us for more episodes of Dawn of an Era of Wellbeing podcast, as well as to give the book Dawn of an Era of Wellbeing to yourself or to a loved one. It's a true companion for these challenging times. The bravado of our ego has historically gotten the better of us. So remember, this time when building that new paradigm for humankind, let's include humankindness. Stay tuned and stay attuned. Thank you for listening. Dawn of an Era of Wellbeing is a co-production of the Laszlo Institute of New Paradigm Research, the Octave Institute, and Select Books Publishers. Our theme music is Chimera by Biba Dupont. For more information about Dawn of an Era of Wellbeing, please visit our website at www.thelasloinstitute.com. If you enjoy our program, please remember to subscribe to us on your podcast service. And if you are using Apple Podcasts, please give us a rating to help other listeners learn about our show. See you next time.